Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to another weekly episode of the little podcast that could we lovingly call Random Song Encounters. I'm your host, Gene Vincent, as usual, and once again, we're coming to you from our SoCal desert underground bunker located miles below the Earth's surface, uh, where we still get some pretty good reception, but uh, hey, we're rolling it out to you again. Uh, this week is extra special. We've got a milestone uh, event, and we're rolling out episode 20. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you. So, you know, we're so excited. We're busting at the seams to get this thing out to you. We've got some great tunes. We're going to call this Uncontrollable Urge because we've got the urge to just, um, you know, throw these things out, and we're, we're so excited to bring it to you. So let's get right to it with a tune by NXS from 1985.
before the winter comes man's last mad surge of youth. What on earth are you talking about?
Yeah, that's a great way to finish segment one, some good old rock and roll. Uh, but let's go back to uh, the beginning of segment one. Now I feel a little better. Urge has subsided a little bit. Uh, but let's get through this uh, before it strikes again. And we start off the segment with NXS out of Australia. And their tune this time from 1985 on their album Listen Like Thieves, which was their fifth LP. Uh, this is another one of those uh, brotherly love groups formed in 77. Three of the band members are the F- Ferris brothers, Andrew, John, and Tim. And they're joined by Gary Bears, Kirk Pengilly, and of course, Michael Hutchinson vo- vocals, who we spoke about a couple of weeks ago in another episode, uh, doing a solo track as part of the Batman uh, soundtrack. But this is his regular, was his regular gig with NXS. Uh, the band name itself was suggested by a crew member from Midnight Oil who they uh, worked with quite often. And uh, it was inspired by the English band XTC and there's an Aussie band IXL uh, you know, using those big graphic letters uh, to uh, describe, you know, shorten words uh, and make it more graphically re- uh, uh, pleasing on records and uh, album covers and so on and so forth. So came up with NXS and they went with it. Uh, it's a funny little tidbit. Their original manager, uh, when he got the group together, was interested in turning them into a Christian rock band, which they briefly considered before rejecting, you know, good call on their part, for sure. Uh, this particular album excuse me, Listen Like Thieves is, is considered their inter- international breakthrough. Um, you know, we spoke before about uh, Michael Hutchins, his passing, and the group had reformed with different vocal- vocalists over the years, but uh, haven't produced any uh, new music as of late. But uh, I just love this track. This is one of my favorite NXS in- tracks, so I wanted to start off the show with that one. Next, we went with a little... I guess early or late psychedelic era rock, 1970, the band Three Dog Night out of L.A. and their song Mama Told Me Not to Come uh, from their fourth LP, It Ain't Easy. Uh, They formed in 1967. Uh, The three founding members were all vocalists, Chuck Negron, Corey Wells, and Danny Hutton. And uh, they didn't always write all their own songs. As a matter of fact, they recorded a lot of songs by written by outside songwriters and they really helped introduce audiences to a lot of future songwriting stars like randy newman who we played here on another episode paul williams who's another giant in the songwriting business hoyt axton uh, as well Um, there's another interesting little story behind the band name Uh, danny's girlfriend at the time suggested the name after reading about aboriginal australians and there's, there's this weird thing where uh, on cold nights, you know, out in the out in the bush or the wilderness, they'd sleep with a, a dingo, which is like a wild dog native to the area, to keep warm. And when the nights got colder, they sleep with two go- dogs. And when it got really freezing at night, it was a three dog night <laughs> they slept with. So uh, from then, uh, they. Uh, once they got together and, and, and got their stuff and rehearsed, they made their official debut in 1968 at the Whiskey A Go-Go. 
on the L.A. Sunset Strip, of course. The song, this particular song, was written by Randy Newman and was specifically written to be used by Eric Burden and the Animals, uh, and they released it in 1967. Uh, but the Three Dog Night uh, came out with their their version in 1970, and it did, and it was so much better, and did, and so much uh, better in record sales. Next, we went to the 80s in a group called the Chameleons out of the UK, and their song "Don't Fall." From their 83 album debut album script of the bridge they formed in 81 and released three lps uh, before abruptly disbanding after their manager's abrupt death in uh, 1987. they kind of resurfaced in 2000 and released one more lp in 2001 before finally disband disbanding again in 2003 so um, great band great music but uh, you know pretty much short-lived after that we went all the way back to 1965 and the Zombies uh, offered their debut LP in the U.S. called uh, The Zombies and their song Tell Her No. They formed in 1961 by Rod Argent and Colin Blun Blundstone. Uh, Rod Argent we've spoken of before, big name, uh, you know, uh, from the Zombies to a band called Argent, solo career, uh, just a, a great, great talent, and Colin Blundstone, who had also had a, a nice solo career on his own after uh, the Zombies broke up. Uh, the band name was suggested by one of the members, uh, just came up with it out of the blue and assumed uh, no one else would use it, you know, who would come up, who would want to use a name called the Zombies. So, hey, uh, one of the guys in the band didn't even know, didn't even know what a zombie was at the time, but uh, they stuck with the name and uh, it worked. The uh, the album itself was really thrown together quickly. They had a single out uh, that was really successful called, and a lot of you heard, She's Not There. Uh, so they, the record company uh, hastily put together uh, a bunch of tracks from their UK debut album and, along with a couple of other tracks and threw this album out in the U.S. so that they could, uh, you know, build on the uh, commercial success that they they had found. Just so just so everyone knows, you know, the song called "Tell Her No," uh, the word "no" is used 63 times in the lyrics. So there you have it. And last, we had a good old rock and roll tune from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, out of Florida originally, but uh, L.A is uh, really their home. Uh, their song Century City from the 1979 LP Damn the Torpedoes, which was their third at the time. Uh, you know, we we played Tom Petty back in one of the early episodes uh, in his solo effort. So this is Tom Petty with the Heartbreakers. Uh, so we, it was fair game, so we threw it in there. They formed in 76 and originally didn't have a big U.S. following. They were, but they were really big in the U.K., uh, word kind of spread of, of their UK success into the US and their never popular uh, debut hit uh, Breakdown was featured in the 1978 film FM so uh, with that word of mouth and then uh, the uh, film FM featuring Breakdown that kind of uh, blew the roof off of the band and uh, off they went into superstardom um, 
the album title, Damn the Torpedoes, is, of course, a reference to the famous quote uh, by Admiral David Fargut, who most everybody knows, Damn the Torpedoes and Full Speed Ahead. Uh, it was their first top 10 LP, uh, finished at number two, and it was only kept out from number one by Pink Floyd's The Wall at the time, so, you know, go figure, bag timing. Uh, Tom Petty jokingly is, has stated that, you know, he loves Pink Floyd to death, but he hated him that year. So, what can you do? Bad timing, but uh, still a great LP and a uh, great tune. So with that, uh, we made it through segment one without, uh, you know, really uh, developing an overurge. But, uh, you know, it's creeping up on us. So we're going to jump on right into segment two before lightning strikes again. And we're going to start out with a tune from the 60s by Moby Grape.
Another great segment there. Segment two, finishing out. And let's uh, wind it back this time and start from where we finished. Uh, we started off with The Call out of Santa Cruz, California. And their song, The Walls Came Down, from their 1983 LP, Modern Romans, which was their second. They formed in 1980 uh, and were initially known as the Motion Pictures. Uh, they served as the backup band uh, to uh, early 80s rocker Phil Seymour. Uh, when they got around to uh, going out on their own, uh, they were able to release their self-titled debut in 1982. And, you know, a lot of people loved it. You know, great energy. Peter Gabriel uh, liked it so much that he called them the future of American music. Uh, this particular album from The Call is notable for its political content that came about uh, as Michael Bean, who's the, the main songwriter in the group, uh, uh, was seeing all the, all the chaos that was happening in the world during the early, early 80s and uh, all the political uh, rigmarole that was going on. So uh, the, this particular album contains a lot of that uh, kind of political jargon. Um, it's also notable on this album that Garth Hudson, uh, the uh, keyboard player for the group The Band, who we played here before, uh, played keyboards on this album and one other album uh, for The Call. And uh, you can definitely hear his style of playing there on, on this particular tune is showcased uh, during the song. Uh, unfortunately, uh, frontman Michael Bean passed away in 2010. And in a crazy way, he had a uh, heart attack, heart failure, uh, while attending a performance of his son's band, uh, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, who a lot of you may have heard of, in Belgium. So, sad story, but uh, the call lives on in our hearts and minds. Love that tune. Before that, we heard a song by Stained out of Massachusetts and their, their tune Outside from their 2001 LP, Break the Cycle, which was their third. They formed in 95 and... Uh, uh, initially, they just toured and toured and toured all over the Northeast United States to try and build a following, and they, they were able to get a regional area following uh, from the, all that touring. And in 97, uh, <clears throat> they released their first mini-album, and they, they got a gig at a, at a concert slot as openers for Limp Bizkit. Uh, Fred Durst, <laughs> as the story goes, uh, who everyone knows of the Limp Bizkit uh, frontman vocalist, uh, had taken a look at their album. I don't know if he played any of it, but he took a look at their album cover, and he was appalled by the album cover and tried to have them removed from the bill. Um, he thought, the uh, based on the album cover, he thought they were Satanists and didn't want them part of the show. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, cooler minds prevailed, and they were allowed to perform. And the crazy thing is, after seeing him perform, Fred Durst was so impressed that he got a hold of him and signed him to his record label. So <clears throat> this particular album was the band's most successful. Uh, it spawned five singles. Uh, this particular song, uh, Outside, was a, before it was even released on record, it was originally performed live during uh, the 1999 Family Values Tour. Uh, Frontman for for the band Aaron Lewis was asked to perform a solo song as part of the uh, part of the uh, you know tour or one of the segments in the uh, in the show 
And at the last minute, he decided to play this song outside that hadn't been released and that he had been working on for a long while uh, rather than play something you know that uh, folks knew. Uh, so he hadn't finished the song, and he literally finished the lyrics on the spot while performing it live at the show. So it's a, a great story, but uh, also a great tune. There's a there's a uh, a acoustic version of this song that came out I think uh, before this version came out uh, as part of this uh, uh, particular or, or a tour the tour with uh, Limp Biscuit that you can find on uh, uh, on some uh, on a recording I'm sure, but that became uh, popular as well as this particular more electric version. Before that. We heard the great Eric Clapton, guitarist extraordinaire out of the UK, and his uh, uh, release of the song, If I Don't Be There By Morning, from his 1978 LP, Backless, which was his sixth solo LP. Um, of course, you know, Eric Clapton, you know, great guitarist, everybody knows the story. At the age of 18, he got a big, his big break uh, with, uh, by joining the Yardbirds. In '63, and then from there uh, it was you know the Yardbirds. Then he went to John Mayall's Blue Break Blues Breakers. Uh, then Cream, of course, Blind Faith. After that, and Derek and the Dominoes before launching uh, what is still an active solo career. Uh, a lot of people may not know that he got the name. You know he's been called Slow Hand, and he got and he's got one title that's even called uh, album title even called Slow Hand. He got this nickname. Because when he was performing on stage early on in his career, uh, he had if the occasion came about where he broke a guitar string, the band would stop playing, and he would literally change the guitar string on stage while everybody stood around and waited for him. And so during those pauses in the show, when at at a random time when that happened, the audience would start a slow clap, hand clap until he finished replacing the string. Hence, Slow Hand was born. Um, this particular song isn't a, uh, uh, isn't a Eric Clapton original. It's a song written by Bob Dylan and Helena Springs. And it's one of the few songs that Bob Dylan never recorded or performed live. As the story goes, Bob Dylan gave, had recorded a cassette demo with Helena and he gave the cassette to Eric Clapton uh, with two songs on it that he had actually uh, written with Helena. And Eric had uh, played guitar at a Dylan concert in Germany, and that's where Dylan gave him the cassette and said, hey, these are yours if you want to use them. Uh, so uh, Eric listened to them, loved them, and of course both songs ended up as part of this particular album. Great story there. And back at the beginning of segment two, we started off with Omaha by Moby, Gra Moby Grape out of San Francisco of their 1967 self-titled LP, Moby Grape, which was their debut. They formed in 1966 and were one of the few bands uh, where all the members were lead vocalists and songwriters. Uh, they were, of course, part of the big, you know, um, psychedelic music scene back in the day in San Francisco. Uh, the, the f group's first incarnation ended in 1969. Two members of the band suffered from mental illness and, and left. Uh, the founding members, Skip Spence and Matthew Katz, 
were both originally associated with Jefferson Airplane. They separated and, and or were asked to leave by the band and then formed Moby Grape. Uh, the band name came from the from a, a weird little joke punch punchline. It goes like, "What's big and purple and lives in the ocean?" Moby Grape. There you go. Uh, funny how these band names come about, but that's the story. Um, unfortunately, the band you know had uh, a great following and they had a, a lot of good critical acclaim, but uh, they suffered through decades long legal disputes with a former former manager uh, and their their saga that's left is you know a lot of squandered potential bad decisions bad luck blunders and heartbreak in the end uh, they pursue produce some of the greatest rock to emerge to emerge from San Francisco scene and could it have had it all but you know ended up uh, with nothing or less than nothing and so a really sad story there and there you have segment two. We're rolling right into segment three, keeping the rock moving, and we're going to go again back to the 1960s and the grassroots. When I think of all the worries people seem to find And how they're in a hurry Complicate their minds by chasing after money and dreams that can't come true. I'm glad that we are different, we've better things to do. May others plan their future. I'm busy loving you.
must I know what could be untrue? Yet still move you all that time they bring their friends round, dress you up.
there you have it. Episode 20, segment three. Finished it off in fine form with one of my favorite bands, Devo. Uh, but And the title of our uh, episode, Uncontrollable Urge. But let's go back to the beginning of segment three, and we'll work our way back. You know, this is this is a really cool thing about this the show that I love. You know, I I love the urge, the uncontrollable urge. I have that uncontrollable urge to search for all this stuff and dig through the archives and 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 find all this music that you know uh, people may not have heard before because you're too young or just never were into those groups or whatever. And I can dredge this stuff up and throw it out there for you all. I do all the work. And you reap the benefits. That's how it works. And hey, no skin off my back. It's free for you all. So let's have some fun and, and keep enjoying this. But I digress. Back to the beginning of the segment. <laughs> we started off with the Grassroots out of L.A. And their tune, Let's Live for Today, from their 1967 LP of the same title, which was their second this is another one of those weird uh, band formation deals where, uh, like the Monkees that we spoke of a few weeks ago in an episode, the group was originally and it originated in 1965 as a creation of the Dunhill Records owner at the time, Lou Adler, as well as a couple of songwriters named P.F. Sloan and Steve Barry. Um, Sloan and Barry uh, had been trying to cash in on this whole folk rock movement that was happening in the 60s and they had been writing a bunch of songs uh, they had done a test release of one of the songs and it got some traction it was popular uh, and they released it uh, under the band name Grassroots so uh, they went to Lou Adler and said hey you know we've got this proven thing we've released this song we've got all these other tunes out there we need to find a band that we can uh, incarnate uh, and get the uh, uh, get them to take on the name Grassroots, an already band that already exists that, that we don't have to spend time, you know, teach them how to play or or so on and so forth. So they went out in search of a band in the L.A. area to uh, take on the Grand Grassroots Roots moniker and and record these songs. They went through three or four attempts, uh, didn't really work, or worked, you know, uh, at the end of the day. Uh, they found a band called The 13th Floor, not to be uh, confused with the, the big garage rock band, The 13th Floor Elevators. This is The 13th Floor. And this particular band signed on uh, under the grassroots name, and they were probably the most successful incarnation that they worked with. Uh, they went through several ne uh, member changes over the years, but uh, this was the, the core group that they ended up with. Uh, on this particular album, the band itself were only allowed to include four of their own original songs. The remainder of the songs were written by Sloan and Barry as part of the deal that they had. Um, this, this particular song, uh, Live For Today, Let's Live For Today, is not uh, uh, written by any of the above mentioned folks. It's a remake of a song that was originally recorded by an English band called The Rokes in 1966, which had a totally different set of lyrics and was done in, in Italian. Uh, and the name of the song, you know, translation from Italian, was called Cry For Me. Uh, they wanted to release a version in the U.S., but the publisher said, hey, 
the lyrics just don't translate, they just don't like it, you know, let's get somebody to write some new lyrics for the song. So they used, you know, the music track and put whole new lyrics to the thing and the song was magically transformed from Cry With Me to Let's Live For Today and that's what uh, the grassroots got a hold of and recorded and it was a big hit for them. So, great story there. After that, we went to the UK and a group called The Bolshoi and their song Away uh, from their 1986 LP Friends, which was their second LP. They formed in 84 and uh, had this kind of goth moniker style, but uh, they didn't fully succumb to the goth music limitations and you know, kind of held back and had a, had a little lighter goth sound to it, if you want to call it that, Simpler, similar to like Bauhaus or so. Um, Friends is their first full-length LP. Um, they issued three LPs altogether and disbanded prior to the re release of their fourth LP at the end of the 80s. Uh, eventually, the fourth LP uh, resurrected and released in 2015, but uh, the band was no, was still not together. It was just uh, one member of the band got with a uh, record company and, and put this thing out. So, great song. Love, uh, love the song by the Bolshoi, but uh, again, one hit wonders there. After that, we heard from another L.A. group, Incubus, and their song Dig from their 2006 LP Light Grenades, uh, which was their sixth. They formed in 91, uh, while three of the initial members were attending Calabasas High in the L.A. area. The, they bumped around for some time, uh, playing before deciding on a name. Uh, the only reason they did so was that they had to come up with a name for a show that they were going to uh, uh, participate in and uh, the, the sponsor said hey gotta have a man name so they came up with Incubus uh, the band's early shows of course were you know out on the Sunset Strip playing all the clubs along there like the Roxy the Troubadour and the Whiskey A Go-Go uh, you know they cut their teeth there and and, and uh, created a, a big following uh, <laughs> the other issue is they, you know, they were still in school uh, they were only able to work uh, on their music during the others during the hours when they weren't in school. So there you have it. They stayed in school and hung with it at least through high school. This was the the band's first album, and the title is based or not their first album. Uh, the title of the uh, LP is based on an idea uh, of launching light beams or beams of light instead of weapons. Uh, so that's why they call it light grenades, you know, launching ideas like beams of light uh, into the sky or into at other people instead of weapons and killing and maiming and so on and so forth. So they were, you know, kind of a uh, ideology thought there, ideological thought there. Uh, what I meant to say before is this was the band's first number one LP uh, that they released. Um, the song itself is about a platonic love that stems from the power of camaraderie. It has nothing to do with, um, you know, uh, he-she kind of a thing. It's about, um, you know, fr friendships and about how you can rely on friendships when you're down and times are hard and, you know, uh, that's, where the, that's where the whole idea comes from. And last but not least, we heard from another one of my all-time favorite bands, Devo, out of Akron, Ohio, and their song Uncontrollable Urge. I just love this track. Uh, it's 1978, their debut album, Question, Are We Not Men? And the answer is, We Are Devo. 
they formed in 1973, and then again, a list of, you know, it's a family affair with brothers, mothers Bob, Mark and Bob, and brothers Casals, Gerald and Bob, along with Alan Myers on drums. Uh, the band's namesake, you know, is a tongue-in-cheek social theory, uh, what they call de-evolution, which is kind of a reference to, at the time, you know, mankind's regression uh, tied to the dysfunction and, and herd mentality of society that they were witnessing uh, back in the back in the 70s, uh, and and over the years, even then, and then over the years, they've always had a sat satirical and a quirky sense of humor they they applied to their music, which makes them really fun. Um, they've been a hugely influential band in in lots of genres: new wave, industrial, and alt rock movements, uh, as well as uh, the music video format. They were pioneers uh, in the music videos. Um, the Kent State Massacre in 1974, four students were killed, uh, has been cited by the band as, as kind of their impetus for forming the band and, and coming up with this de-evolution uh, uh, theory uh, and uh, kind of where they, where they came from. The um, band was, uh, got some pretty heavy-duty recommendations in order to get their first recording contract. They got recommendations from David Bowie and Iggy Pop, uh, which enabled Debo to get their first contract. Um, the album itself was produced by another heavyweight in the music business, Brian Eno of Roxy Music and Solo Fame. Um, Eno even paid for the group to fly to Cologne and to record the album as well as paid for studio time and lodgings. Uh, this was before the band got their record deal, yet uh, he was confident, you know, uh, based on the reps from Bowie and Iggy Pop, that they would get a get a deal and that he'd get uh, a nice return on on his investment, which certainly worked out for him at the end. Um, Devo itself celebrating their 50th year anniversary this year with a series of farewell shows, uh, which will take him in, into December and maybe to the end of the year. We're not sure when when the last show is. They keep uh, adding dates on, uh, but uh, uh, I think they're getting close to closing it out. Um, they just passed through LA, as a matter of fact, uh, in the middle of November as part of the Darker Ways Festival in Huntington Beach. But uh, congratulations on a long and prosperous career to Devo. Love these guys, and, and sorry to see them uh, see them uh, end their run. But uh, you know, all the best. And there you have it. The segments are done, and we're going to close this thing out. Thanks again for joining us for Monumental Episode 20. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you again. Really appreciate it. Uh, we really enjoyed bringing this to you. Uh, again, it's our uncontrollable urge. We can't help ourselves but to help you and bring this stuff to you. Hope you're enjoying it. Uh, we'll be back again next week as we approach the holiday season and get into... You know, the holidays between Christmas and New Year's and so on and forth to close out the year. Uh, but uh, 
we'll keep the episodes coming to you and we appreciate your support and let us know if you have any questions or comments and uh, we'll be glad to address them. Uh, But for now, sayonara and make sure you share the good stuff. Bye.